the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I am so thankful uh, for, uh, during our live streams, that uh, Lawrence uh, stepped up uh, to be our worship leader. Uh, But isn't it good to have Johnny back as well? Uh, For those of you who might have joined us since March, since the live streams, uh, Johnny, who led us in worship this morning, uh, was and is our our normal and regular worship leader. So it's uh, good to have him back as well as his family joining us uh, in person when they can. Um, I also do want to mention, also for the sake of those of you uh, who may not have been part of our church before uh, shelter in place for uh, much time, um, to know that the individual that you saw earlier, uh, most of you received an email about that. His name is Chris, and he is the one uh, who we spoke of in my who I spoke of in my email, who is now uh, our, an elder in training. So just for those of you who have joined us since uh, that time, since March, to put a name or a face. Uh, to the name, uh, rather. Well, let's look to the Word of God. You know, they say that variety is the spice of life, and I tend to agree. Uh, From different foods and flavors to landscapes that we can enjoy on vacation or in our travels to people. And what a wonderful, speaking of people, what a wonderful plethora the Lord has given the church in regards to personalities, desires, humor, giftedness, even the varying opinions that we all have challenge us. They grow us. They build us up. Is that not why we're here, why we're in small groups, why we're in men's and women's groups? Because something that we may be thinking, someone will bring something else up and we think, hey, that's pretty good. That'll help me in my spiritual growth. But with such variety when it comes to people and personalities, disagreements are inevitable. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with other people. After all, God has gifted us all with brains and minds. He didn't put us here to be robots all walking the same way and thinking the same way. It's good to disagree. Disagreements can further the cause of Christ and the building of the church when viewed and used properly. In other words, to hear people out, to communicate, not just to fight and get angry. But when used and viewed properly, disagreements are a good thing. But what happens when a disagreement turns into an argument? What happens when a disagreement, a difference of opinion, turns into a dispute? How do we handle that? Do we tell other believers? Is it gossip? Is it a prayer request? Do we forget just the lay people and go directly to the elders, to the pastor? Or do we forget the church entirely and just go to civil court, small claims court, a court of law? After all, the legal system in our country, much like in ancient Corinth, is very functional and extremely accessible. Well, 
when it comes to disputes that have risen to the degree or to that degree, our passage this morning gives us direction as to how to handle them. This teaching comes out of the fact that there was such a dispute in the church of Corinth that Paul is writing to, and the matter had been taken by two individuals to a court of law. Let's see what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Would you turn there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Does any of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Even without unpacking this text, I think it's safe to assume that you all can already know how Paul feels about going to a court of law. But this morning, I want to give you five guiding principles regarding lawsuits. Five guiding principles regarding lawsuits. The first guiding principle when we're talking about lawsuits is the contemptible action. The contemptible action. Look again at verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his brother, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So Paul has heard of this lawsuit in which a believer in the Corinthian church has taken another believer to court. Now, there is a possibility that this was not unique in that church and that it was happening quite frequently. And as he explains that he knows about this, he uses terminology that tells us that he is absolutely shocked and horrified. The grammar here, specifically in the word dare, indicates that this is presently happening. The problem he has is in the fact that bringing someone to a court of law means that they are expecting help and judgment from someone who isn't a Christian. And that's what he says here. He makes a distinction between the unrighteous and the saints. In other words, someone who doesn't hold to the morality and the biblical standard by which Christians live and by which they should resolve their problems. And these Christians are going to someone like that. And even if they should come across a judge who is a Christian, just like in the American court system, they are bound by the law of the land and cannot rule based on the commands of Scripture. In the same vein, the Jews of the day would consider bringing a lawsuit before non-Jewish judges to be a blasphemy against the law of God. The Greeks, on the other hand, loved lawsuits not unlike modern Americans. The contrast that Paul brings to our attention 
is the unrighteous or the unbelievers versus the saints or believers. Ultimately, as we'll see throughout this passage, his point is that Christians should be able to settle their own disputes. The contrast between the unbeliever and the believer in this context can be further clarified with a rhetorical question. And it's this. If you cannot settle a dispute with all your spiritual gifts, with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as your guide, how in the world can you expect a non-Christian to do it? Keep in mind, we are talking about a Christian taking another Christian to court. That is the only context and situation he's talking about here. Christian taking another Christian to court. I should also clarify, as our CHP officer looks at me inquisitively, that we're talking about a civil case and not a criminal case. In no way is Paul saying that crimes are to be dealt with in the church only and not to involve the police or the legal court system. We are not talking about criminal activity. But the general principle holds true. By virtue of who you are, brothers in Christ, you should be able to come to a resolution without involving a secular judge. And to make matters worse, if you go to court, then you are following the world's pattern of seeking selfish gain and demanding that you are right, even if it means defaming the other person's character. As long as I get my money, as long as he honors the contract, as long as I get my property back, I don't care how I smear intentionally or inadvertently this other Christian's reputation. That's what court is. And you can see the ramifications in the unity of the church. All of that goes against everything we are saved to be. To to take another Christian to court, Paul is saying, is absolutely contemptible. And this is what he's stressing. And to be clear, when he says, do you dare do this, he's not using the word dare in a positive way, as in, all right, guys, who has the courage to do this? He's using the word dare as in, how dare you? How dare you do this? The nerve, the gall, the shamelessness to take another family member to court. How dare you do this to the fellowship? How dare you do this to the church? How dare you do this to your testimony? How dare you do this to the reputation of God? How dare you? It's contemptible. And with this first question, Paul gives us our first guiding principle regarding lawsuits, which is they are utterly contemptible actions, shameful, embarrassing, horrific. The second guiding principle is the corresponding ability. Because if we're not supposed to take them to court, then what do we do? Look at verses 2 and 3, the corresponding ability. Or do you not know? that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? 
Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So Paul now elaborates on what he introduced in verse 1, the ability of Christians to decide on such matters. He uses the common reasoning of greater to lesser. Like if you can do this big thing, surely you can do this little thing, right? If you can take that long test, surely you can do this little word problem. If you can, for a living, clean dozens of hotel rooms, surely you can tidy up your bedroom, okay? We do that all the time. Parents, you do this all the time. And the greater to lesser here is he says, if we will be judging the world and even angels, we can definitely judge these disputes, these little disputes uh, regarding the matters of this life. And as we follow these questions, there's a logical sequence that builds to his point. The first question is phrased in a way that expects a positive answer. That is an answer of yes. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Yes, even if they didn't actually know this, this is a true statement. To put it another way, more common to our modern vernacular, he's basically saying, guys, you know that we're going to judge the world, right? Don't you? This is not a contradiction of what we looked at last week in that judging the world is outside of our jurisdiction or concern. This is eschatological. That's just a fancy word for talking about things that are future, not as in tomorrow, but as in future, as in the book of Revelation, the end times. This is talking about the judgment that we will have or we will execute with Christ during the millennium, during the millennial reign. We will all be involved in some way. Now, we aren't given details of how this plays out or what it looks like, but we are given some information in Scripture that connects us with that time of reign and judgment from God. In fact, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verses 26 and 27. If you're not familiar, just turn all the way to the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. Wait, isn't this time about Jesus? Go on. As I also have received authority from my Father. That is Jesus speaking to us. Look at chapter 3 and verse 21 in Revelation. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Again, this is Jesus speaking to us. Jump back to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Here, John further describes what he sees in this vision, this revelation. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Then I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. It's time about the tribulation, of course. And they came to life and reigned with Christ, reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There's a reigning there. There's a judgment there. 
Don't turn there, but 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, we will, He will also deny us. Now we know, as Jesus promised His 12 disciples, that they will reign in a special way. There will be special thrones for them over the 12 tribes of Israel. But here we have clearly seen that we are all involved as well. How that plays out, we don't know. But we know it will play out. But back to Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 6. He's basically saying, if all of this is going to happen, that we will judge the world someday, then it begs the question, which is Paul's second question. Don't you think that you're competent to make up the equivalent of a civil or small claims court if you're going to judge the world? In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul doubles down. He asks again grammatically in a way that expects the answer, yes, don't you know that we will judge angels? We have even less details about our role in this. We're not even told in Scripture what angels we will judge, all angels or fallen angels. Uh, I would tend to think the latter since good angels have no sin to be judged, but we don't know. Perhaps we will be involved in the judgment of angels that is mentioned in 2 Peter 2 and Jude 6. Regardless, that's beside the point here, which is that if we are going to judge angels tomorrow, then surely we can settle disputes among Christians today. These disputes he refers to as matters of this life. Again, these are not crimes. They are issues of daily living and life on earth. Food, clothing, money, property rights. Things you would sue over, such as a breach of contracts, stolen items, property lines, uh, being sold a car by another Christian in the church that turns out to be a lemon. How do you handle that? Do we get my money back? Can you pay for the repairs? Those are types of things, again, that we would go to civil court for, that we would go to small claims court for, that if it's brother, brother, sister, brother, brother, sister, we should be able to handle that on our own. Matters of this life. And if the two in disagreement can't figure it out, then they should turn to others in the church for help. And so the second principle regarding lawsuits is our ability to adjudicate. We can do it. Not because we in and of ourselves are so smart, but because we have the Word of God. And because we are pursuing the principles of selflessness. Not being greedy. Not loving money. Preferring others. And you're saying, wait a minute, (laughs) I just read the passage. He's not saying just give in and give to the other person. He will in verse 7, and that'll be next week. But it's not wrong to say, hey, listen, I need this money back. We're not just saying just to to let go and, and to be the loser, but those principles need to come into play. And so we need to remember that going to law is contemptible, But we have the ability. We are competent. The third point, the third guiding principle regarding lawsuits, we find in verse 4, and that is the contradictory appointment. The contradictory appointment. And he goes back to the unbelievers. He says, so if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? And see, you see, the underlying principle here is that church or Christianity is not just one part of our job. We have the Christianity, which is one slice of the pie, 
and then we have our occupation, which is one slice of the pie. We have our family, which are one another slice, and you understand what I'm saying. No, Christianity, our faith in God is the whole pie, and everything else that the Lord puts in your life, from jobs to kids to education to whatever, is all to, to be lived out in faithfulness to Christ. And so what he's saying here is just because it's a lawsuit, just because it's money, just because it's property that has nothing to do with the church per se doesn't mean you can compartmentalize your life and say this is this slice and this belongs in a court of law, not in the church. And he makes a great picture here. See, when we have the secular law courts handle our disputes, we as members of the body of Christ are allowing those who have no standing whatsoever in the body of Christ to have jurisdiction over our lives. And that shouldn't be the case. At least some part of our lives. They say, well, it's just a small thing. It's, 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 it's just this little contract. I can go to court. It's not a big deal. I'm not really giving a, a secular judge great jurisdiction over my whole life. But it's a part of your life that's important enough for you to go to court. So it's clearly significant for you. It's not just that Paul is saying that they aren't part of the church by describing them as no account or no standing in the church. He's not just saying, why would you, ha- why would you go to a secular court of law and have people over you that are not in the church? No, no, no. He's using a word that means to consider as nothing, to despise, to reject with contempt. This is not just judges in particular. Right? This isn't just this context. We, we know this is the reality of how the Bible describes all unbelievers who have rejected God. And by the way, speaking of biblical descriptions of non-Christians, let's take a few more and attach this to the reality of what you are doing when you take a matter like this to a court of law and having this person adjudicate a part of your life. God calls them lawless The Bible calls them darkened, blind, without excuse, evil, unwise. We've talked about this throughout 1 Corinthians. They don't have the wisdom of God. So why would you willingly put them over your dispute and then submit to their decision? They have rejected our values, and they have adopted completely different standards. Now, in all of this, I want to make a very important side note. It's a side note that we've brought up in the last almost four years. This is very important. And perhaps for Christians even more so the previous eight years. Paul is not attacking any government official or the judge's legal standing within the government. Nor is he giving allowance for rebellion or lawlessness or even disrespect toward judges or any government authority. In fact, he is quite clear in Romans 13 that we are to submit to their authority and to show them respect, regardless of if they follow your party lines. But what we're talking about here is not an obligatory need to submit, again, as you would if you committed a crime. Because these are issues or disputes that should be solved, if not by the disputing Christians themselves, then by the church. In other words, if we're talking about a legal, uh, in a legal way, these are cases that we willingly bring before a judge. 
You see, no crime has been committed. You were just sold a lemon, and so a cop's not going to come to your door and drag you to court over that unless the other brother initiated that, you see. And here are the Corinthians willingly running to secular judges in matters that they need not have authority over. We are, in essence, appointing them over our situation despite them having a completely different mindset, a completely different morality, and a completely different God. This appointment contradicts our very being and beliefs. It's a contradictory appointment. Who we should be appointing, not in an official sense, are other believers within the church. And this leads us to our fourth guiding principle regarding lawsuits, the clear answer. The clear answer. Look at verse 5. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? So Paul started by expressing his shock and disappointment about about these lawsuits in verse 1. He further emphasizes this with the phrase, to your shame. He's saying that what they, should, what they have done, they should be embarrassed for. And they're still doing it. They're running. They're running to the courts of law. They are not exhibiting love. They're not exhibiting Christian character. It's embarrassing, he says. This is, this is your shame. This is shameful. And the reality, he goes on to say, is that there are people in the church that can decide on these matters. In fact, and this is very important, in fact, because you think, well, we're a smaller church. You just say, we're only nine years old. We don't really have have an elder board. We have one pastor. We don't don't have these uh, these groups. We don't have these special uh, tribunals or you know, select group of people. But here's what Paul is saying. Any believer, any believer who is walking with the Lord and seeks counsel from God's Word and the Holy Spirit has the tools necessary to settle a disagreement between two believers more competently than the most highly esteemed, trained, and experienced unbelieving judge when it comes to these matters because you will bring in the same belief system regarding that money, how they should view money and property and things like that to the case. Any of us could do it. We aren't even talking about a a pastoral committee or the elder board. Or setting up some special group of uh, those who are lawyers or who, are, who are, uh, have an understanding of the law or finances or property rights. This is just life on life, brother to brother. This is family. This is why our small group leaders are facilitators. They are facilitating a discussion so that you guys can help each other. Iron sharpens iron. 
we do have this mindset where there's the law and then there's just relationships. And again, in many important areas, specifically criminal activity, that is very, very important. If, if you come to me and, and tell me, say, Pastor, I, you know, I need you to do something. We want this handled in the church. My husband beat our child to the point that he'd go to the hospital. I will handle it by taking him to the police station. This is not what we're talking about. But when it comes to civil matters, you can't just say, well, there's the law and there's the church. Separation of church and state. That's not even the issue. Because as we were looking at a few weeks ago, if you have the ability, if you have the authority, if you have the responsibility, which you have all three of, to confront sin, then surely you can do this. And please, to borrow terminology from the Apostle Paul, don't you dare tell me that your fight over inheritance, even if it's millions of dollars, is more significant to you than sin and the dealing of sin. Don't you dare tell me that. Here's the point. Christians should be able to decide on these matters. And you say, well, we've tried. And we've come to a stalemate. We just can't come to a decision. Pastor, what would you say to that? Well, then in that case, I would have to say Christians should be able to decide on these matters. Again, this is not necessarily sin. Now, there's usually sin involved when people are fighting over things like this, but just having a disagreement over something physical is not sin in and of itself. But it's the same principle. Obviously, I would say more. But if you just say, you know, I've really grown. I, I've gotten everything together. But I still explode at my husband, and that's just how it's going to be. I would say the same thing. You are a born-again believer. You should be able to handle that. You should be able to repent and deal with that. But I can't. You should be able to repent of that. But I ju I've tried. I can't. You should be able to repent of that. See? But we can. It's a lot of money. You don't understand. He cheated me. We should be able to deal with this situation. Okay? And of course, I gave you a little preview. It's got to got to include the right hard attitude that we're going to see uh, next week where he says, why don't you just take the hit? <laughs> why can't you just prefer your brother over yourself? Okay? And we'll talk more about that next week. Well, we've seen four of the five guiding principles regarding lawsuits. The fifth one is the catastrophic alternative. The catastrophic, catastrophic alternative. We've seen the contemptible action, the corresponding ability, the contradictory appointment, the clear answer, which is just really bouncing back and forth, saying, don't go to court, the Christians can do it. Don't go to court, the Christians can do it. And here we bounce back. He says, all of this is true, 
It's contemptible. You have the ability to do it. You should be doing it. But, verse 6, brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. In other words, it's bad enough to have a disagreement with another believer, but that's life. Disputes happen. But we make it much worse when we take them to court. Bad becomes worse. Worse becomes worst when we take our pride and greed and selfishness and insistence that we are right and the accompanying tactics of manipulation that we use and we bring it into the public eye to the court system. And that's, again, a preview for next week. This is part of the problem, that it's our pride. He's not going to do this. I'm going to make him do it because I'm right. I'm going to get my way. What they're doing is wrong. What he's doing is wrong. I am going to do it my way. And if the church isn't going to do it, I'm going to make the court force them to do it. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's saying that I'm right and they're wrong. And this is another reason we need to take it to the church. I have no doubts. I don't think it would happen in our church, but I have no doubts that people follow this and they just can't come to a decision. One person doesn't agree. The elders get involved. They won't submit to the elders. They won't listen to the pastor, and so they go to court. Because no matter what someone says, they they insist that they're right. It's my fence, it's my computer. It's my money. It's my inheritance. It's my car. I deserve to be able to have access to this and to that. And then you go to court. And I've mentioned it all morning, but it would be helpful to point out why, why the different values and morality of the secular court system make it wrong to use them in such cases. Keeping in mind that even a Christian judge is bound to the law of the land in his ruling. So even a Christian judge who looks at a contract or whatever has to rule according to the law and cannot take into account what I'm about to say. When you go to a secular court of law, they care about remediation. They don't care about your heart. They don't care about if you're sinning in your heart. They won't call it sin. They care, of course, if you're going to get violent over it, but they don't care about your heart. They don't care about your greediness, your selfishness, your pride. They just care about the result. Here's another reason. Their entire concern is secular law and man-made justice rather than God's glory and God's justice. Their entire concern is secular law and man-made justice doing their job and doing it right. And we're thankful for that. But they are not concerned about God's glory. They're not going to rule and say, you know what? Legally, this is yours, but I'm going to give it to him because he's a weaker brother and we're we're to take care of them. They can't do that. They won't be a judge for very much longer. Thirdly, they're not concerned about spiritual growth. There's no long game here. Their goal is to end it. 
go, see the bailiff, see the clerk, write the check, and we're done. There's no concern about spiritual growth when they make that ruling. Next, their job is to give someone what is rightfully theirs with no concern for future community and fellowship within those people's church. He may say that. My understanding is a judge has every right to say that and reprimand them and say, I'm going to do this, but understand what you're doing to your church. They could say that. Understand that you're breaking up this family, but decision goes to the plaintiff. They can't judge based on how it's going to affect the rest of us. The fact that after this, this guy's no longer come to church. This guy's going to resign his membership. This guy's going to step down from being an elder, whatever it may be. Cause a church split. Who knows? They don't care about that. At least not from a legal standpoint. Another reason. They're not focused on developing hearts of love, gratitude, and selflessness. They're not even concerned about the opposite. They don't even have an evil agenda of developing a a wicked heart of selfishness and discontentment. They're just going to look at the law and give the right person the right amount of money or property or whatever it is. They're not concerned about developing what I've referred to in the past as the big picture things, right? Love, gratitude. Let me give you more. Their rulings do not take into consideration the existence, let, not even the, the possibility, they, they don't even take into consideration the existence of eternity, whether the horrors of hell or the glories of heaven. Even if they believe in it, they don't, has no place in the law. They're not going to adjudicate based on, well, you guys are going to worship together forever at the throne of grace, right? Testimony, evangelism, things like that. We are driven by that, you know that. It may not be a constant thought in your head, but we are driven by that in all that we do. Perhaps more now than ever as you think about the, uh, the, the frailty of life under, under COVID and ravaging fires. I know where I'm going. And finally, their rulings do not even take into consideration the existence of God, let alone our call to honor Him. Their rulings do not take into consideration the existence of God, let alone our call to honor Him. I understand perhaps not now, and maybe it varies from court to court, but historically there has been lip service, a nod to God and the Bible. Put your right hand on the Bible, right, historically. But you know that it, they can't rule. They rule according to the law of the city, the county, the state, the country. The existence of God does not matter to them. And, of course, there could be more. Look, when there's tension between individuals and the church, we understand the damage it does to our relationships and the fellowship within the body. Not only are those outside of the church unable to understand this, they don't even care to. Not that they don't care. They don't even care to understand that. 
give me the contract, give me the pictures of the damage. There's no, okay, tell me about how you know each other. And according to the beliefs of that organization, you say it's a church, okay, what are you supposed to do in your interpersonal relationships because that's going to determine what I say. No, they don't care. Do you have the paperwork? Do you have the pictures? Do you have the contract? Do you have the recording? Do you have the text messages? So that's, that's it. I mean, uh, imagine taking your blood relative, your sibling, not even the church. Maybe, maybe they're not even believer. Imagine taking your sibling to court. He said, yeah, you know, when our grandparents said we all get inheritance, and I actually did that. We had to do that. We inherited this land, and we didn't know how much was what. She, grandma forgot to write it down in her will, and so we went to court. And so, you know, it doesn't really hold water for me. Pastor, it, I have done that. Really, how how's that work out for you? Talking with your siblings more than ever now? Family bonds stronger than ever now? Never used to call. Now he calls all the time. I think not. But you got the land. This is what Paul is saying. This is, this, is, this is why this is so horrific to him. We're talking about destroying community bonds within the family of God. Unity is more important. Testimony is more important. Saltiness of the salt is more important. Psalm 133. Behold... <laughs> How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. How much is it worth to you? We've been saying this, I could argue I've been saying this ever since I became a Christian. Prioritizing the things of God over the things of this world. Earth. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 6. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother. And that before unbelievers? Five guiding principles regarding lawsuits. Contemptible action, lawsuits. The corresponding ability, we have been given the ability, the wisdom, the word to do it. The contradictory appointment, you are in essence bringing a secular judge into the fold of God to make a decision. The clear answer, we can do it. If not just the two people at odds, if not the church others in the church, and the catastrophic, catastrophic alternative, 
going to the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people that would develop the right attitude and perspective towards you and towards each other so that should a case like this arise, we would humbly seek your word and seek the benefit of others. If that doesn't work, to humbly talk to other believers for wisdom and humbly submit to one another. I pray that we would remove, whether it's leading to a court case or not, if there's anything in our lives that is sinful that could veer towards that, not because of the court case, but because we want to honor you, whether it's selfishness, whether it's pride, whether it's a insistence that we are right, even, even when we think what we're, we're doing may help the church, may we be humble and submit. Heavenly Father, if there are any situations in this like this going on in our church, I pray that the two disputing individuals would make amends and figure things out without involving a secular court, and if not, to seek help and counsel and advice from the rest of us. We pray these things in